Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Life Around the World podcast. I'm your host Katerina. Today I'll introduce myself, um, I'll tell you what this podcast is about and then we'll have our very first guest. My name is Katerina, I'm from Italy but I have extensive experience living abroad. I've lived in about six, well in six countries around the world. I really enjoy traveling, I really enjoy meeting different people, uh, getting to know different cultures and and that's actually where the inspiration for this podcast comes from. I realize not everybody has had the opportunity to to visit many countries and to live in other places. So I thought through this podcast, through the guests that we'll have, in each episode we'll have a different guest from a different place or who has experience of a different country. So I'm adding this later as I had a bit of a problem with the audio. So I know my voice sounds a little bit different now. Please bear with me. This is my first time doing a podcast. Uh, I'm really excited and I'm kind of nervous. I was nervous when I recorded this episode and <laughs> I'm still nervous now. With all these guests, I really hope we kind of get to have fun together and while learning about these new cultures that normally most of us wouldn't really be able to interact with. I hope the guests enjoy themselves and are able to, to share what they feel is important and is interesting about their culture. But most of all, I hope you guys enjoy yourselves listening. Um, and I hope you interact with me. So please, I, we, I set up an Instagram account, like Around the World podcast. And please just come and interact with me. I'll set up an email as well. Just let me know if you have questions for guests, if you have curiosities for me, maybe anything that you'd like to know or any comment, any feedback. I really, I would like this to be as interactive as possible. So let's move on to, to the first guest. <laughs> so today, for this very first episode, I thought it would be fit to have my husband here with me. Hello, Tozani. Hi, Katerina. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm fine, too. So thanks for coming here. It's my pleasure. I like <laughs> it here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so y- you are from Eswatini, right? Yes, formerly known as Swaziland. What do you mean, formerly known as Swaziland? What happened? Um, before it was called Swaziland, and that was, I think, that was the name that the colonizers had given the small kingdom. Um, and then a few years back, we just decided, what? Why not call it with our local language, which is Siswati? And so we decided to call it Eswatini. Okay, well, that's uh, that's interesting. It doesn't happen often that a country changes their name, does it? Not very often, but uh, we've seen it a few times with uh, most of the African countries where they change their names from the name that the colonizers left to an African name. That's true. I, you, you're saying colonizers, but what I learned about Swaziland when I first arrived was that it was never colonized. So what's the truth in your opinion? Well, I I agree. It was not colonized. It was a protectorate of the of British. Um, okay, so 
Swaziland now is Swatini. It's a very small country, right? What happens when you tell people that you're from there? Ah, people <laughs> just look at me. It's either they look at me puzzled or they're like, oh, I've been there in 1980 something. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on their age, I think I found that most of the young generation may not know it, but mm -hmm. most of the older people have been to Africa and they always tend to go to South Africa for some game drives. But then the biggest game reserve in South Africa is right on the border with Swaziland, so they always drive by Swaziland. Okay. I'll be switching between Swaziland and Eswatini now and then because it's a new thing. <laughs> yes, yes, we, s we switch between the names a lot. It's fun when you give your passport to, to officials here in Italy. <laughs> They're always <laughs> surprised, kind of feeling like maybe it's a fake passport because they never heard of the kingdom of Eswatini. <laughs> That's true. Actually, the first time I came here, I wasted a few minutes while, while the person who was supposed to stamp my passport had to show it to his colleagues. <laughs> so he kept calling the next person, hey, come and see this passport. Have you ever seen this country? It's a kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's also that, the fact that it's a kingdom. It's an absolute monarchy. So it surprises most people that they still exist because there's a few left. I feel like things run relatively smoothly. Yeah, they were very smoothly. With with such a small population, it was um, it's, uh, it's easy to run the country with such a very small population. We are a million and a half, um, maybe mm -hmm. a bit more, but um, a lot of Swazis live in South Africa, so... I think you keep increasing the number, the population of Swaziland when you tell people. <laughs> <laughs> so you think I started at the million and now I'm at yes. <laughs> over one million and a half. <laughs> I think you're going faster than uh, Swazi women are <laughs> are able to propagate. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, we'll have to check Wikipedia just to be sure. <laughs> well, check now. <laughs> One million hundred and twenty-one thousand. <laughs> See, <laughs> I was right because I keep saying one million, and you keep, <laughs> keep getting the number higher and higher. But of course, there is a lot of Swazis in South Africa. As we said, they are neighboring countries, and they have had long-term collaborate cooperation. You know. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Swaziland and South Africa. Um, are very linked they have a lot of relationships like if you have um, the south african currency you can use it in swaziland because they are valued at the same the same rate yeah so uh, actually the swazi tribe let's say comes from the zulu tribe right yes i mean they were one tribe before and then at some point the swazis decided to create their own tribe and establish themselves in what is now Eswatini. Exactly. In, in Swaziland, we actually speak Siswati and English, and both of these languages are also, how do you say, legal languages mm -hmm. uh, of South Africa. One of the 11, that they are two of the 11 languages that they have in South Africa, these two yes, are part of them. Well, Siswati is very similar to Zulu, and a lot of um, Swazi traditional practices are similar to the Zulu traditional practices. True. Like True. also the garments, the clothes, they have different colors. Yes. Um, but they but have they are the same. Yeah. Yeah, they have the same origin. Yes. So that's quite interesting. 
I like how you go to South Africans. There's a different language, but you understand each other perfectly. <laughs> exactly. Even if I'm speaking Siswati or I'm speaking Zulu, the the only thing that they will say if I'm speaking Siswati is if they like the accent or they don't like the accent. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Most of them like it. A few South Africans say that this this the Swati language is not uh, very nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard that recently. <laughs> Can you tell us about your family? Is it a typical Swazi family? I guess so. I was raised by my mom. My dad was working in South Africa um, years ago, like when I, before I hit the age of six. Uh, my dad used to come back home when he had like a lot of holidays, maybe during Easter's or during Christmas. He was working in the mines in South Africa, but. Um, just when I was about to start school, which is the age of six, he just decided to not come back home. So I was raised by my mom. He, she took me through school um, and until university. Uh, so I, yeah, I guess it was a typical African family, except that the father was not present. Okay. Well, unfortunately, I found that that's very common. So in, in Africa, I lived in Swaziland. Or Sotini and then in Angola um, and unfortunately I found that for various reason, reasons many families were basically brought up by the mother often alone or you know with other women but uh, the, f- the fathers were not very present not uh, not everywhere and not every family but it's a tendency um, exactly with, yes yeah. between wars and other issues and and the problem of having to find a job somewhere far, you know. Yes, and actually in Switzerland, Switzerland was one of the countries which had the highest HIV rate. Mm-hmm. So for that generation, a lot of people died when AIDS first broke out. Yes. There was no, the anti-retroviral drugs were not yet um, well developed, present yes. in Africa, so... A lot of people in that generation died. So it's various reasons that the father can be absent. Actually, you mentioned something. I think that um, if people know about Swaziland, that's something they know well. Swaziland 4, which is polygamy. I mean, you didn't (laughs) mention it, but it's kind of linked to this, right? Yes. People that know Swaziland know about the king having many, many wives. Yes, that's the that's that's the most famous fact about it. That in Swaziland, legally, you can take as many wives as you want as a man. Um, you just have to do it the Swazi traditional way. If yeah. you do it with the modern way, the modern marriage, marriage yeah. then you will get a certificate which says that you're married and you're not allowed to take another wife. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's like kind of two levels of law, two channels of law. Um, in in this case, there's many differences, but this, for example, so if you get married in the civil law, of course you can only get married once, but if you get married with the traditional law, then you can get married as many times as you want, and it's still a valid marriage, right? Yes, yes, you do get a certificate, it's documented that you are married. Yeah, so mm. the king has over 15 wives, I think, yes. but the previous one had even more, and 
over 200 recognized kids. Right? <laughs> exactly, had a lot. In a population of a million people, <laughs> that, that's a lot of uh, people connected to the royal family. Yeah, that's true. But it's not only in Swaziland where polygamy is allowed. I think For most sure. African countries allow it. Swaziland is particular in the sense that it's legal. Okay. I think traditionally, yes, in many African cultures it's allowed. Yes, traditionally, definitely. But legally, I don't know. I don't know. In Angola, it's not allowed legally, mm. for example. But I don't know about other African countries. I'll be asking this to my future guests that <laughs> come from Africa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope you'll get a lot so that I can also learn more. Because I know a few things about the southern part of Africa, mm -hmm. but the northern part, not so much. Yeah. But it's not so easy anyway, taking more than one wife. Like, when we say that, you know, people think, oh, you're going to get a lot of wives if you go to Swaziland, but it's actually not that easy because you need to be able to sustain them, the family financially, right? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Generally, you need to be... It, it was a traditional thing. So before someone gives you their daughter to marry them, they would want you to be rich. And the richness would be measured with how many cows you have mm -hmm. during those days. If you have a huge crawl that's full of cows, then they'll tell you, yes, you can take my daughter, just give me 12 cows. And that's yeah. it. Um, the rights for females have been getting more and more recognized recently. So that means that... Um, Everyone has to be treated equally, which is the way that humanity should work anyway. Yeah, it's not absolutely. It's an important point. I was just kind of laughing because I think we're both a bit nervous about <laughs> 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 this podcast, but, but it's very interesting stuff. It is. It is. I mean, in the past, when you take the wives, they would make part of your children. So, like, if I see my friend who has many wives, I'll be asking him, hi, how are the kids? And when I say how are the kids, I mean his wife, his wives and his children. So he was mostly the father making the leader of the family, making all of the decisions by himself. So I think it was maybe easier to control. That okay, so thank you. It's been very interesting. But now I was curious about how it was for you um, and then um, to move to Angola with me. Uh, you know, we moved there, well, on and off from 2017, right? We yes. were there. You were there for some months in 2017. Um, and then in 2019, we moved there for a year. We did the whole COVID like lockdown part um, yes. in Angola. How was it for you? No, for me, I think I loved it there. Um, Angolans were very nice. Um, they were welcoming for me. Um, I think I was like it because they knew you, so if I come and I'm next to you, I was um, I felt welcomed. I felt yes, like I was part of them. Uh, that's something I always say, and hopefully one day we'll have on the podcast someone from Angola. But my impression of Angola at the beginning was that they are very, they don't trust uh, people they don't know. And I mean, it links, I think, to their history of civil war. So at first I felt a bit, like people were a bit cold towards me, but then as soon as they got to know me, you know, they, they were the most welcoming and <laughs> most uh, warm, the warmest people um, ever. And then when you arrived with me, I guess I was expecting them to be a bit cold towards you, but they were not. They were no. super open. <laughs> so that was very interesting to see. And as you say, it might be the connection, like I'm introducing you to the community. 
Yes, I feel like that's how they were because also even when I was working on my own, um, fine, some of them may have mistaken me for for an Angolan, but those that knew that I was an Angolan, it wouldn't be easy for me to make friends. Mm. Yes, I mean we also had a pretty big network, so I don't think we went to look for more friends because we we were doing we were we joined the dance school and that had like a lot of young people and. It was yeah. a lot of fun, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was definitely good times. Yes. <laughs> I think a big difference of in culture between Swaziland and Angola is this party culture. Of course, you have parties in Swaziland too, but I think in Angola they're very serious about it, <laughs> about the dancing music. I do, I think so. I, th- I think the, the main example that I can come up with right now was how they would print uh, t-shirts mm-hmm. on the t-shirts they would print a picture of whose birthday it is mm-hmm. like if there was a baby having a birthday then m- me as an uncle I would have a t-shirt with the picture <laughs> of the baby and then written, written uncle to the baby and then <laughs> you would have another t-shirt written aunt to the baby which is something <laughs> we don't have in Switzerland yeah. I mean if it's a birthday some people will celebrate it with a yeah. party but yes. most people don't really huge parties and print t-shirts and so on yes and they hire photographers they hire decorators of, of course those who can afford it but even families that can't afford much like when there's a party like they really pull together the resources <laughs> to make it big exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> most of us in Switzerland, if you can't afford a party you don't consider organizing one Mm-hmm. Yes, and they go on until 7 a.m., even babies' birthday <laughs> <laughs> parties, right? True, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, and what were some of the similarities, maybe, that you found between your culture and the Angolan culture? I think the one of the few similarities was how, the, was how you, were, you would have to show respect when entering government-owned buildings. Like in Angola, sometimes you wouldn't go into a government-owned building wearing flip-flops uh, or, or a hat. I'm not sure about a hat, but that's how it is in Swaziland. When you go into a government-owned building, you wouldn't go in wearing a hat or looking very informal because yes. there would be pictures of the people who are in leadership, so the king and the queen mother. And um, everyone wants you to show respect to the pictures on the wall. Yes, and in Angola it would be the president and so on. Yeah, yeah. the flip flops issue was a big issue for me because I in <laughs> Angola I was going everywhere <laughs> with flip flops and then I would be turned down <laughs> when I was <laughs> trying to enter government building. It's very hot in Angola, so yes. And you you mentioned how people would some people would think you're Angolan and some people would realize pretty soon that you're not. Yes. And do you remember those who realized that you were not thought that you were from Sao Tome? Often, <laughs> <laughs> remember? I remember all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Especially there was our motor taxi driver who just decided to nickname both you and me for some reason <laughs> Sao Tome. Sao Tome. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably because in Angola most of the black people that you will see they will either fr- be from Namibia which is neighboring Angola or they would be from South Tome because in South Tome they speak Portuguese so it's likely that they would go yeah. to Angola. Well in Rwanda there's also a lot of Congolese and other other yes. countries but yeah in Benguela I guess those two. Yeah. And then we moved to Italy. Yes. <laughs> then we came to Italy. <laughs> yes. Actually I think by now it was a couple of years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Right, it's been a couple of years. How how has that been for you? Uh, it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been lovely. Everyone that is um, related to you and your friends have always treated me nicely. Um, it's just that I've been uh, missing home a bit because when we first moved here, I had to stay in Italy for a whole year, and it was during the lockdown during COVID. So. Um, I think I just missed home a lot mm-hmm. and knowing that I couldn't go home made me miss it even more. This was because we were doing the residence permit and yes. um, well to cut the long story short once you start the paperwork you can't leave the country and then come back and hope to pick up from where you left off. We actually moved to Switzerland before coming here for a few months mm-hmm. and in Switzerland we had a big house and a garden so yes. I That's felt more free. Yes, that's definitely something I miss a lot. I told you about uh, living in Africa is the space that you have in the nature and the outside. Yes, but apart from that, everyone here was very nice. The food is lovely, as <laughs> you can imagine. Everything else was pretty awesome. And you've been cooking Italian food as well. <laughs> also, I've been learning from you, and um, I follow some chefs on Instagram that mm-hmm. put the recipes there. Mm-hmm. So I learned to cook some Italian food. Mm-hmm. I can cook uh, a few dishes. Yes. What What's your favorite Italian food? <laughs> I think it's pizza, like everyone yeah. else. <laughs> but to cook, the favorite thing to cook, I think it is uh, amatriciana. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Yes, <laughs> and carbonara, of course. Carbonara is also very good. I think they are dishes that are easy to cook and they are also very nice to eat. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> uh, we've been visiting around Italy a little bit, right? Yes. Before coming to Italy, what were your expectations? Um, or, you know, do you remember if you remember them or how they changed while you were here? I think the only thing that I can come up with right now is how I expected everyone to be able to speak English. <laughs> I mean, coming from Switzerland, everyone who, oh well, almost everyone who is white in Switzerland would speak English, because we we mm-hmm. had people from Britain, South Africa, or or the U.S. Most of the white mm-hmm. people that are in Switzerland. So I kind of expected everyone to speak English mm-hmm. here. Yes. <laughs> but in reality, no. Even today, I still meet people who don't speak English. They just they just speak Italian. So. Yeah, but I have to say your Italian is very good. <laughs> As is your Portuguese, you pick up languages so fast. And now you're oh, learning Chinese. You. What made you want to pick that up? <laughs> I just I just fell in love with learning languages. Mm-hmm. When I first met you and learned Italian, I realized that I have a passion for learning new languages and new cultures. Mm-hmm. So um, when I came here, I thought I'm still learning Italian by talking to you and talking to people in the office. So I should pick up another language on the side and I chose a challenging one. Decided <laughs> yes, to go for Chinese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, what do you miss most about uh, Swaziland or Eswatini? Uh, that would be the meat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we have good meat there and when we do a braai, it's, uh, it's a serious thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Leto, my South African classmate, also keeps saying braai and I'm like, not everybody knows what a braai <laughs> is. So what is a braai? Oh, that's true. <laughs> a braai is, is like... Um, 
What's the word in barbecue. English? Barbecue. It's like a barbecue, exactly. It's like a barbecue, except that uh, mostly in Switzerland we tend to cook it with the fire, not with the broilers or, I don't know, some of you have air fryers mm. or ovens. <laughs> 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 yeah. We tend to cook it in a fire, to start a fire and mm-hmm. wait until it has all the red ashes and then marinate your meat with whatever spices you have mm-hmm. and then throw it on top. What kind of meat? Do you eat? Do you eat pork in Swaziland? Yes. <laughs> I'm asking. <laughs> I know, but I just. Yes, we yeah. do. I have. Ac- I have actually gotten this question a lot here in mm-hmm. Italy because I think there's a lot of um, Muslim Africans mm-hmm. who don't eat pork, so it's normal for me to be asked that question. Yes. <laughs> but yes, we eat pork, chicken, and um, beef. Beef, obviously. Yeah. We have a few. Uh, here and there, you'll find sheep and mm-hmm. um, and goat meat. Mm-hmm. But the most popular ones are the first three that I talked about. And when you're doing a braai, you will probably, yeah, you have the, a mix of the three and then add some uh, sausage, yeah, which we call the braai wars. But yeah. it's really part of the culture, right? Having a braai. Yes, it's part of the culture. When you meet with friends, you will in town, you will probably go to a braai place where they will sell you the meat and show you the fire. You just take the meat and marinate it, go to the fire and cook it yourself. And then they give you pap. Yeah, what is pap? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically this uh, kind of food that you cook using milumil and water. You just milumil means flour, corn flour. flour, corn flour, flour yes. um, yeah, corn flour is a bit different. But yes. Flour, no? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. And water. And water. Yes. You just boil the water, add some salt, and then bit mm. by bit you put in this mealy meal. It's like a porridge. It's quite solid, though. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's the English word for it, porridge. Yes. And uh, we've seen that in other African places as well, but it has different types of flowers or different consistencies. Exactly. In Angola, they had it too, fuba, which was a bit fungi. more liquid that w- than what I'm used to. Yes, fungi. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of spices, what kind of spices do you use in your meat? Well, we just like it spicy, so we like it chili. We had a few spices that have chilies, and I like it spicy, so I'll buy some spices that have a lot of chilies in them and then I'll buy a chili sauce on the side just to make <laughs> sure it's hot. Yeah, and talking about this, do you remember when we were at the bright place in Baban in the capital and some people started <laughs> adding the spicy to the hot Yes, I remember to the to the fire and yes. that made everyone cough because <laughs> we don't put the chilies inside the fire, obviously. Yes, because then it went with the smoke all around yeah. the place and we were all coughing and crying. <laughs> it was exactly. <laughs> exactly. We get the chilies already cooked so that later you just add it to the meat when it's ready so you don't cook it. Yes, and as there's a special kind of sauce made in Swaziland called, called Archer, right? Yes, a but lot of women know how to make it and then they sell it. They just make it and put it in bottles. It's made of vegetables with chilies. Exactly, mixture of vegetables Do and chilies. Do you remember when you made it? Yes. In Angola, how was yes. that? <laughs> Mine was the best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, this is to warn you listeners that in this podcast you'll hear a lot about food because I'm a... I have a passion for food <laughs> and cooking. And you too, right, Dutan? Yes, I love food. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a sort of last topic, uh, there's something, yeah, something that, you, as you know, I'm very interested in in general. 
um, and I found particularly well how do you say elaborate <laughs> in Swaziland uh, is the religion aspect ah yes um, do you have uh, well mainly it's a Christian country right mm-hmm. yes but there are so many different denominations yes and the Christianity we have a lot of churches Yes, it's for such a small country, it's <laughs> so <laughs> interesting, like, yes. within the same community, like, there will be people that are Baptist, and people who are evan- evangelic, people who are Catholic, or Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. a lot of different ones, and the church yeah. is very important for most people, right? Yeah, it is, up to, uh, up to an extent that we had, uh, I think, before the white people arrived, we had our own traditional religion, mm-hmm. And then when they arrived and introduced God to us, then we were like, oh, we're not going to leave our traditional religion, so we'll do both. <laughs> so there are people called Zionists that um, that do both. They wear some red well, clothes. Yeah, they developed a sort of religion mixing yeah. Christianity with the local yes. um, religion practices, right? Exactly. Where when they pray, they will include uh, their ancestors so that their ancestors will take the message to God and so on. And we went to one of those services. Yes. It was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they were fighting with sticks. Like uh-huh. It was a very mm, different ritual, let's say. Something that actually kind of bothered me and uh, I didn't understand is how in like meetings, like when I was working for the NGO in Swaziland, like every meeting we had to pray, <laughs> even though, you know, the NGOs didn't have anything to do with the religion. They were not religious NGOs, <laughs> like, but there, it always started and finished with a prayer. So, and and I, the prayer was very generic again, like, so to not really make it specific to like the Catholic uh, Ritual yes, or yes. Jehovah's Witness ritual, it was like always a kind of generic prayer that anybody could kind of agree with. To yes, God, if, you, if you go to an, inv- to an event that includes a w- uh, the whole community, then obviously they will want to pray first and in the end. There's nothing wrong with it, but I'm not used to <laughs> it. You know, here in Italy, yeah. religion is more of a private thing. So yeah. if you go to public meetings, you don't. No, for us it's very public. Actually, before the... Before the missionaries arrived, the, there's a legend that is told that the king had a dream, the king of that time had a dream that there was a white man who was arriving, bringing with him a coin and a book. The Swazis are, tr- are supposed to choose the book and not the coin. Obviously, the coin is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've so heard this story somewhere else. I don't know if in Max, like some similar story. Oh. So I'm wondering if it's uh, something that missionaries have been telling. <laughs> over the world, you know, it's possible. It's likely, so that they, l- so that we do choose their book when they yeah. come with it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, that's Who interesting. Knows? But yeah, as I said, uh, that was not the last topic, because actually I wanted to just mention these rituals that the king participates in, actually is like the leader of, and they're yes. very important. And during the year, there's two in particular that are super important. Yes, exactly. As I was saying, that we, uh, that we, uh, the ancestors are very important, and the traditions and customs of the country are very important. So during August, there will be the Red Dance, which is almost the most important one. What's the name in Siswati? Umshanga. Umshanga. Umshanga yes. is is red mm-hmm. when you when you translate it, the um, small thingy that grows in the water. Yeah, like the plant. The plant, yes. 
So the girls, it's it's supposed to be girls who are virgin that go to pick it up and bring it to the king's house so that it can be used to build. I to think it's the queen mother's palace. Yeah. They're supposed to like bring build the fence around it. Yes, it used to build the fence exactly. Yes. Exactly. And then there's the inkwala mm-hmm. where most old people go. Um it's also an interesting event. When is that? That one is around Christmas. Yeah, so it's that one that where like actually the king kind of retires for a whole month. Yes. In theory, he or someone sent by him goes to Mozambique to get some of this. Yeah, water, a, f- right? a few people, yes, a few people. But since this is re- this is uh, r- mostly related and linked to some rituals, um, you can't really know exactly what's yeah. going on. But the Umhlanga <laughs> is, uh, is actually quite well known outside of Swazi. It's one yes. of the few things that people know. Exactly. Um, we're at the end of a few days where the women from the communities, the young women, virgin mm. women, come to bring the reeds. At the end of that, there's like a celebration. They dance in front of the king and other important people, right? Yes, yes. And of course, they are wearing the traditional attire, which yes. tends to show a lot. And because they are supposed to be virgins, they don't cover up a lot. Yeah, so and the uh, yeah. upper part is uh, is naked, and that mm-hmm. is shocking sometimes people from abroad. <laughs> um, yes. And then there's this idea, when I came, at least, when I came to Swaziland, they told me that the king chooses a new wife in that dance every year. But in the end, it's not true. It just so happened that sometimes he yes, chose a new wife. Yes, it's not every year, but if, if he wished... Mm-hmm. If he wished to choose a new wife every year in that event, he could do so. Of course, he can. So that's yes. that's quite interesting. It brings up a lot of um, actual I- issues about women rights, and mm-hmm. but the also the connection between uh, women rights or human rights in general and keeping up the tradition and the cultures of a place, right? Yes, yes. Because as, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. since I said that they are virgins, they are supposed to be teenagers. Yeah, very young, for sure. Okay, well, it's been an illuminating chat. <laughs> I hope you had fun. I did, I did have fun, and I'm looking forward to listening to more to more episodes that are illuminating you know, about <laughs> other cultures from other countries all over the world. Yes, we'll have so many, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Thank you, Tozani, for being here. Nyabonga. <laughs> Thank you, Katerina Wamugelegile, which means you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast. Join us on Instagram at Life Around the World Podcast. Uh, I'll be putting some pictures of the brides <laughs> and, uh, and of the sources we talked about and of Swaziland. And, and stay tuned for the next episode coming out next month. Probably we'll have a very interesting guest. Bye. Bye. Subscribe to my wife's podcast. Bye. (laughs)